It's like whatever. <laughs> These are funny. Anybody. <laughs> are we live? Yes. Okay, we're live. So listen to this. Why didn't they play cards on the ark? And didn't have an extra deck. It's something to do with the deck. <laughs> right. Because Noah was always standing on the deck. Okay. <laughs> also, why didn't Noah ever go fishing? Fish on the ark. He only had two worms. <laughs> yes, what? he only had two worms. Oh, that's good. <laughs> oh, good job. You can yeah. tell how my mind thinks all the time. <laughs> and then finally, did Eve ever have a date with Adam? <laughs> Did, did Eve ever have a date with Adam? No, but she had an apple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. An apple. <laughs> a date, oh, fig, you. an apple. Maybe Eve was a real peach <laughs> A real peach. <laughs> That's funny. Man, I was like back there trying to focus because I kept getting all these ideas. And I was like, Lord, I'm sorry. And then I remembered what... Uh, Bill Johnson said, just write them down, right. you know, and get back cool. in. And so it's like every few minutes, oh, that's a good idea. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> oh, that's a really good idea. You yeah, know I didn't get a whole lot of anything else done. <laughs> I am so excited for today's lesson because it's like the previous one where Elijah helped the widow. Now we have Elisha helping a widow as well. And no. Yes, it's working. Okay, so we're in Second uh, Kings chapter four, and uh, we only have um, let's see how many more. <laughs> um, I think it's like twenty. What is it? Twenty-two or something? I'm like, well, maybe by mid-year we'll. Oh, twenty-three. Oh, <laughs> twenty-five. Well, guys, twenty twenty-two will be the year of kings. <laughs> A year ago, you said it. You decreed it. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> All right, so 2 Kings chapter 4, and uh, we'll start with verses 1 through 2. And uh, I found some information I thought was interesting on this story. It says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elijah, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elijah said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me. What have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. So now we're back to the solution is there before the problem. Uh, in my research, now this is from Josephus. He tells us the prophet that died was Obadiah. Hmm. So this was Obadiah's wife. And how would he know that? Uh, probably their history at passing down. I'm sure you could probably ask him if he was born again one day. Mm -hmm. You know, Josephus, how'd you know that? Uh, so obviously, you know, we're not sure, but I thought that was interesting that it possibly could because the culture around the Bible is actually very small. A lot of the prophets prophesied during the same time periods. They knew each other. And then we, of course, had the sons of the prophets, which you brought out last week, being the um, Targum, I believe, the disciples of uh, Elijah. And we also see another pattern, and that is provision is often in your house or in your hands. The prophet was there to point it out. Okay? 
and uh, also to give strategy, which we're going to see, and then to produce miracles. So this is something that I think is a, an important question that I wanted to ask because, you know, especially charismatic circles, they've reduced prophets to those who give personal prophecy. And there's actually nothing at all wrong with a, a prophet giving personal prophecy. I think that's fine. But I want people to view prophets as problem solvers because the Bible says that if you listen to a prophet, you'll have success. The only way you have success is to solve problems. That's it. Because anytime, well, I mean, if there's not a problem, then there's no success to be had. So anytime you're going toward success, you encounter obstacles, etc. So, prophets foretell, but do they also problem solve? And I believe that they do. Which that opens up a whole nother door of opportunity for us in a city. And we also saw that last week where city leaders came to Elisha to fix the water problem, right? So, and don't forget, uh, Friday I'd like to discuss any solutions y'all might have uh, for the two, the two things I gave y'all. Okay, so Elijah was in the widow's house and raised her son from the dead. Now, Elisha is directing either the same widow or another widow, which I think it's another widow, to solve a financial problem. So he's got the question of what's in your house. She says, a jar of oil. Then in verse 3, he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring another vessel. And he said, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on the rest. Okay, so the first thing that I wanted to point out here is he gave her this, the initial steps. Then he told her what to do after she obeyed the first ones. So a lot of times we're wanting all of it at once. And the Lord's like, no, I'll give you this step or these steps. And then once you're doing those you'll get the rest. So if you have the type of personality that likes to have all of the data first, that can sometimes be a challenge. But also, um, notice that he said, okay, borrow the jars, but then uh, go in and shut the door and get to work. So what happens, and I've done this several times on different things, is when I'm executing a plan from the Lord, uh, I limit any outside activities. I really do. Uh, it is whatever I'm supposed to be focused on, that's what gets the majority of my attention. Uh, and the reason is because, again, if you laser focus to that one thing, you get more done in less time versus if you spread out, right? So obviously, you know, I have work and, you know, clients and things like that. But like the, the Him Plus You app, it, that's what I've been focused on for many, many, many days. And so, going out to have lunch with friends, um, those types of things, no. I'm not interested until I have that complete. So, I just wanted to show that because it can also be a personal goal, you know, where you spend devoted amounts of time. 
Uh, I've been reading this uh, book called The 5 A.M. Club. It's phenomenal. Uh, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. And one of the things that was interesting is he was talking about the difference between those that live granular and those that live superficial. And I find this even in the Christian practice where we have a problem, we have something we want to deal with, and instead of honing in on that with a laser focus, a bulldog focus, we'll spend a little bit there, but then we'll go out into all these other areas. Well, problems are solved in a couple ways. Number one, you see the issue or you see the, the place of growth you want to have, and then you're like, okay, Holy Spirit, what is your strategy for this area? Then you stay on that area until it's complete. And uh, so it's like, I've got um, two books I've read that I need to now execute what is in them. Therefore, I am not going to pull another book out on finances or on social media until I have executed. And then the next step is mastery. Because we will go towards something and we think we've achieved some great goals, but deep living people will go towards mastery. So that means you're always perfecting your craft, whether it's uh, peace, whether it's finances, whether it's joy, it doesn't matter, whether it's faith, you're going to hone it in and become a master at it and that's very, very important. And then what you find is whatever you needed to focus on, the rest of your life is elevated and then you can go to the next thing. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it's like school. You know, we learned how to, you know, two plus two equals four mm -hmm. and then multiplication. We had to do those for like a year. It's like multiplication mm -hmm. and division. Remember that? And then they would take us and they'd let us, you know, practice a little bit with more difficult addition, more difficult subtraction and then the next year. So that's just how we progressed to the point where we were able to graduate. And then even after you graduate, you need to go into, is it, uh, get your PhD. So you never leave learning you just get better and better i thought it was interesting too that she already had what was what the what yes her resources were in her house i mean the expanded resources but you know um we talked we've already talked about when you have a problem look around for the solution yes. because it's there yeah i thought this was a good example of that yep what do you have in your house Yep. Well, and that's what a prophet does mm -hmm. is they point out the possibilities where a person pre-prophetic utterance is just looking at what they don't have. Mm -hmm. That's why I say that prophets will be preachers typically because, and not always, but because preachers will get people out of their ruts. And so the problem is we box people in to perceptions of what people are. So, you know, typically when you think of a prophet, you might think of someone that's weird, that wears, you know, camel hair and needs bugs. For a preacher, you think of someone that wears girl jeans and um, tight button-up shirts and um, yells all the time. I mean, you got to get that outside of your paradigm because whatever you're called to do, you will do it within the confines of your personality, your gifts, and your skill sets. So, there is such thing as a preaching anointing, but... Here's the point that you bring out. She saw all I have. He saw that's your answer. It's so important to look beyond all you have. And she already possessed it. Yes, yes. 
Uh, if you think, well, I'm not, you know, charismatic, or all I have is this, or blah, blah, stop. If you need to get a prophetic utterance on how you can use that, etc., find it. Uh, another thing is coaching. He is literally, he is coaching her to not just paying off her debt, but also living in abundance the rest of her life. This was her retirement plan. And, she, and, and for her kids, for the rest of her life, they're going to be able to live off of this. So I love it. Seeking out strategic prophetic words requires you to find someone who's actually a true prophet. Because there's way too many out there that think they are, that act like they are, and all they can do is get a nice comforting thought for you from the Lord, which is fine. But now I'm talking strategic living. I'm not talking just you want to feel good for a few hours, right? So we've got to have our strategy. And that's why I love our spiritual intelligence reports because they have the strategy, they have the steps in there that people can take, right, to get to the end result. So it's really good. She listened to the prophets and she prospered. Now in Second Chronicles 20, 20, thought that was interesting. We need some 20, 20 vision. It says, they arose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. So you can have a lot of people that are established in their relationship with the Lord, but they're not living the life they want to live. There's nothing sweeter than desire fulfilled, right? Like a tree of life. And uh, so that requires listening to the prophets. Now, the word prophet is literally an inspired spokesman. And the word inspire means to breathe upon. So when it comes to solving problems, you can tell the right solutions to that person because it's alive. There's a light on it. They can recognize it and they'll carry it out. Uh, take the uh, prophetic and prophets outside the four walls of the church into society and they will literally solve city problems, business problems, family problems, financial problems, personal problems, etc. And what's interesting is that gifting will draw people that also have it as well. There's a lot of people that are actually prophetic voices that don't even know the Lord. You know, they have that on them. Unfortunately, some turn into psychics, but there's a lot of people, they are problem solvers. They are, we would call them, in the business world, prognosticators. They're able to see where something's going, and they position themselves for it. So here's something that's important. If you operate in the prophetic, you have to know in the business world, you will be around others that also operate in that gifting, whether they know the Lord or not, and don't let <coughs> jealousy stop you from hearing what they're saying. Appreciate the, the ideas, the value that other people bring, even if they don't necessarily hold the position that you hold. You, you can't let jealousy, that's lifeboat ethics thinking. It's where there's a lack. You're not sure there's enough to go around, and so you want to hold your territory because if other people have it, then you may not shine as bright, and that's the dumbest mindset you can have. Well, I always thought that that was probably the strength of uh, President Trump. Oh, absolutely. That he surrounded himself with people that could see solutions, I'll put it that way, and he could pick and, you know, 
uh, no, you're not yep. anointed. I don't yep. know what you want to well, say for that position. There's a real, um, and then he would learn from them too. Yes. And he knew every area. He knew how much every nail cost, how much every uh, board cost. For everything, he knew the people that worked at his businesses, which I, it's fascinating. He knew the janitor and the, uh, if his wife or mother had surgery and how the kiddos were. I mean, the guy knew his business. Here's another thing uh, that's interesting about people that live deeply. They are not satisfied with mediocre. They are not satisfied with living shallow or <coughs> producing work that is not inspiring. And it can be an issue because you know what you have in your head and you will just keep hunting until you can find a way to make it happen. Like I'm still on a hunt of a specific thing because I refuse to release any product, any service, unless it's elite. I'm just not going to do it. Like you can ask Gigi. I get, he's probably like, what is she up to? <laughs> Beauty inspires the soul. And uh, so my table has been a problem. Huh, the dining room table. Yeah, I try the old person plastic. Can't stand it. So I can't. We can't do this anymore. Roll it up. Now I got all this stuff. You know, like how are we gonna, you know, not ruin it further? I need to repair it. But how are we gonna not ruin it further with drinks? Blah blah. Well, until until then, I get those, you know, woven mats. Mike's like, yeah, they're probably got salmonella in them. You know, they're just attracting germs. Food gets in there. So he's fussy, right? He's been fussy about it. So I'm like, well, we can use real plates, you know. But there are times you don't want to use real plates. So I'm like, okay, what can I do? <coughs> so I look and I find these like woven, you know, placemats that we could roll up. Okay? okay. I'm like, oh, we could roll these up. We could put them in a basket. And then just grab them from the basket, right? I'm like, good idea. So I get them, but they're not the material I thought they were. They're more like, what would you say, G? Like rubber or plastic? More plastic. They're all right. But I'm like, you know, I don't know. I like the color. So I take them with me to Hobby Lobby, <laughs> and I get a basket for them. I put them in there. I show G. I put the basket. I'm like, look, we can just pull these out. He's like, yeah, I like that. It's like, okay. And then I'm staring at them. Yeah, no, that's not enough. Nope, I don't like that. So then I'm like, how should I do a centerpiece? So I have Pinterest. I can do that. So I go to Hobby Lobby with my basket, with my things, <laughs> find a tray. I put all these things in there. I'm like... That's it. You have to go in odd numbers, three to five. Okay. So I got these three on my thing. I take them home, and I'm staring at them. I'm like, yeah, the mats ain't going to work. So then I order six, and I'm like, they have material mats, like cotton mats. <gasps> so then I go on there, and I, and I find some that are going to look phenomenal. Why am I telling you about this? Because I'm not content with average. That's, and it's everything. It's not just the table piece. It's whatever I produce, whether it's a business product or what. Now, here's the thing. You have to make sure that there's a, and I'm not even going to say balance. It's not perfectionism. It's excellence. And so you have to go, but here's the thing. What to you is excellence to a person that's mediocre, it'll be perfectionism. Only you know if you're being a perfectionist, which has no room for mistakes, right? Or excellence. So where does that come in? Whatever you're working on with excellence, it's the finishing touches and the finishing details, even in your ministry. It's how you look at a person. 
the, the inspiring thoughts that come, how you deliver them, how you make them feel. All of that are the wow factors that we need to get back to. Because Jesus, like when people would come to him, they'd say, what, what new teaching is this? The anointing on him. We've never heard anything like this. The, I mean, his teaching was so anointed, demons would manifest when he taught. So you've got this excellence that's on him. It's the principle of Daniel. He was the mountain that jutted above all the mountains because he was of a different spirit. When Jesus began his ministry, it was mediocre. You had Pharisees and Sadducees that would literally just regurgitate what other people said. In fact, I think I've mentioned this before, the rabbi students would even mispronounce words because their rabbi did. Okay? So by the time Jesus comes, everything is just basically vomit. I mean, it's just regurgitated content. And they want something original. And so the most original person ever born showed up. And even at the age, was it 12, 13, the, the religious leaders are like, how does this kid know all? I mean, they're asking him questions. That's what I'm talking about. Does that make sense? So we're back to a, a society where mediocre and, and plain and what everybody else is doing is normal. And God wants our normal, which will always stand above everybody else. Where Richard builds a table that is phenomenal. Where you bring out your best china for us on Friday. That's what I'm talking about, right? But what he just said, I'm always the same way. It could just be a little bit better. Yes, and so then I'm like, okay, Sherry, now you're getting into perfectionism. It, it is what it is. Until you get the skill level, I'm happy with what I got, right? But then I'm going to get better and better and better. And so that's what I'm talking about. And that's what is going on here where your gifts, your skill sets, your talents, your personality, that's the oil in the widow's house. Okay? And take it outside of business. Take it to your personal development, your relationship development, all of those things. And so here we have, listen to the prophets, you'll succeed. So with God, you can be established. You'll have a great foundation. You'll have a great life. You'll get to heaven. But if you believe the prophets, then you'll, you'll come encounter a success you never knew you could have. So here is my um, statement that I write out almost every single day. I am raising up a prophetic company of marketplace apostles, influencers, and solutionaries who solve complex issues in all seven spheres or mountains of society and who have the ear of kings. Okay, that is my statement. In fact, I think I'm going to name us Prophetic Company. And uh, so that's what we're doing, and it's going to have a bigger and bigger impact. It may take me a bit, but I can guarantee you when it shows up on the scene, it's going to be something that wows people. Okay, so here are some other defini definitions of prophets. In the Complete Word Study Dictionary of the Old Testament, the noun is found parallel to two other words, meaning a seer and a prophet. So you have Hosea and Roah, which tends to stress the visionary or perceptive assets, aspects I'm sorry, of a prophet's experiences. In other words, one will see, uh, so I, I think Kathy would belong to that group, and then one will perceive. And I would say I'd probably fall within that. I'm not claiming to be a prophet, but you see what I mean. Uh, some are more visionary than others, I think. Roberta, you're very visionary. Uh, what about you, Doreen? Are you more visionary or do you hear? It's perception. Yeah. 
Okay, so then um, you also have the sons of the prophet, which was a phrase indicating bands or companies of prophets, uh, son in this case meaning a member. Kings also sometimes had a group of prophets around them, which is important. So when uh, President Trump was Trump, he had around him a group of people that were his spiritual advisory council. Um, Paula White, I believe, was one of them. Uh, several well-known people. One of them, when he was first uh, in office, said that he would end Obamacare, and when he didn't, it didn't happen according to his uh, uh, minister's word, that minister was fired. And he told him, he said, I have to be able to know what God is saying. And you missed it. So, and the man was like, absolutely, I did. And he was fired, and it was very gracious. So that's, that's incredible that you have a president that has surrounded himself with spirit-filled Christians, but their perceptions sometimes can get in the way. And so you got this company of prophets, and then you have prophets that were designated from Israel, Samaria, and Jerusalem. In an unusual development, David set aside some of the sons of Asaph, uh, Heman, and Jonathan to serve as prophets. That Their prophesying was accompanied with musical instruments and possibly was brought on and aided by these instruments. This phenomenon is described mainly in the book of Second Chronicles. So now you've got those that serve the king as far as counselors. You've got those that are musicians. And um, by the way, on your word, as far as the Muslims, did you know that the uh, Shulamite was uh, Palestinian? So the Palestinians are definitely of that line. Okay, so the key is to believe his prophets. Now, get this. The word succeeds. This, I want to give you a clear picture of success. That way you recognize it when you have it. Okay? Is to rush, to break forth, to come mightily. So that's a very descriptive, violent action <coughs> word. That's why I have, um, I can't remember the full quote, but on my vision board, a plan executed violently that, that struck me is better than blah, blah, blah. I'll have to look it up. But execute your plan violently. That means nothing will distract you. No one will stop you. And no problem or obstacle will be in your way. You will blow it up, go through it, go around it, go under it, go over it, roll it out of the way. It doesn't matter. You are going to do what you have set your mind to do. While at the same time being flexible in your spirit and soul to hear what might be a solution, a better way, or a pivot you need to make, okay? It's a word that describes the Holy Spirit's effect on others, making them powerful. It also means to prosper, to be victorious. It's used of causing something to turn out successfully. And the word for believe is amon, or amon. It's the same word as amen, or so be it. So in other words, believe as prophets, when you hear them, whether they're giving you counsel, whether they're giving you strategy, whether they're giving you an encouraging word, whatever it is, when they say it, you say, Amen. That's it. You said it, or God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Done. And then you take action. Now the word established in 2 Chronicles 20.20 refers to believing God and being established that's also an amen. This establishes a life that is unshakable and unmovable. 
It invites the stability of God into your life. His sureness and His guarantee. So a lot of Christians are unstable in their beliefs. But when you begin to believe God and get established, believe His prophets and have breakthrough success, all of a sudden your life is stable. You don't have to have downturns. Uh, I knew I should have brought my um, passion. Can I see yours? I'm going to see if I can find this uh, for you guys. This is why I love reading the Proverbs. Um, I know I'm in chapters 3 or 4. Okay. Getting close. Pay attention, Pendry. Guard your heart. Oh, I'm missing a page. That might explain it. Uh, faithful to his instruction, he'll reign in life. Stick with wisdom. Ah, here it is. And this, act, and it may be in a psalm. I'll see if I can find it for you, but it talks about following wisdom and you will never experience failure. <laughs> yeah. Follow wisdom. You will never experience failure. But listen to this. Um, let's see. Stick with wisdom and she will stick with you. Protecting you throughout your days. She will rescue all those who passionately listen to her voice. You have this paradox. Number one, you'll have protection if you listen. But if you ever have a time where you find yourself in trouble because you didn't listen, she'll rescue you. How does she rescue? She gives you a strategy. That's how wisdom works. Wisdom is the most valuable commodity, so buy it. Revelation knowledge is what you need. Invest in it. Wisdom will exalt you when you exalt her truth and she will lead you to honor and favor when you live your life by her insights. She will adorn, she, you will be adorned with beauty and grace and wisdom's glory will wrap itself around you making you victorious in the race. Uh, I have taken you by the hand in wisdom's ways pointing you to the path of integrity. Your progress will have no limits when you come along with me. No limits. Your progress your progress will have no limits. That, guys, the sky's the limits. And you will never stumble as you walk along the way. That word stumble means to fall into sin. A lot of people don't have a sin problem. They have a wisdom problem. Okay? And so then it says, receive my correction no matter how hard it is to swallow for wisdom will snap you back in place. <laughs> I love that. And then it goes into like troublemakers and things like that. Um, but I wish I could just find... Um, where you will never fail, but I'll, I'll try to find it uh, for you guys to get it to you because I've been all over Psalms and Proverbs, so I have no idea where it was. But that right there is enough where you could just meditate on that for the rest of your life and see incredible results. Okay. Now, the word uh, believe also, this is from the Spirit-Filled Life Bible Notes on Amon. It means to be firmly persuaded, to believe solidly, in its causative form, Amon means to believe, that is, consider trustworthy. Now we're getting to trust. You have to trust Father. If you don't trust Him, you will not have Amon.
okay? So it's very, very important to take note of that. This word is used in uh, Genesis 15, 6, when Abraham believed in the Lord. Here in 2 Chronicles, Amon appears, uh, Amon appears three times in one verse and could be uh, translated, be established in the Lord and you will be established. From Amon comes Enuma, which is faith. And the most famous derivative is Amen, which conveys the idea it is solidly, firmly, surely, true, and verified, and established. So this lady believed, she was established. She believed, and she was successful. Okay, so we got all that. We have the success. Everything's good. Verse 8 in 2 Kings 4. But when Elisha... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, I'm in the wrong place. Whoa. Let me get back to you. I'm on page 444. Interesting. Okay. Now, verse 8. Oh, she's a Shunammite. Uh, one day, Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. I love that. You know, she's wanting to bless the prophet, give him a place to, to stay. So one day he came there and he turned into the chamber and he rested. So he said to Gehazi, I don't like him, his servant, <laughs> call the Shunammite. So when he called her, she stood before him, and he said uh, to him, Say now to her, See, you've taken all this trouble for us, and what is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she said, Well, I dwell among my own people. He said, Well, what then can I do for you? So Gehazi said, Well, she has no son, and her husband is old. So he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway, and he said, At this season, about this time next year, you will embrace a son. And she said, Oh, no, my Lord, O oh man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha had said. This is so neat. Okay, so... There's a lot of questions here for me. Oh. There's questions? Yeah. Okay, he's going to prophesy her answer. And why is so he... So why would he ask Gehazi? I don't know. See, like, if he has the answer, shouldn't he know the question? Oh, not always. Well. Because prophets don't always know that. Right. The answer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but, they don't you always know, know But that. that's something that, that you have to think about. Mm -hmm. It's like. Well, I'm wondering why he keeps sending Gehazi when it sounds like he's right there and he can just tell her himself, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, but here's the, just add the generosity of her heart. Generosity, right, is the key to wealth. So here she's already wealthy and she's thinking about this prophet. They're not even of the same race, ethnicity. She's like, I just want to bless him. Let's just bless him. He's obviously a holy man. So she goes to all that effort and then she gets a prophet's reward, which is mentioned in Matthew 10:41. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Okay, so the word receives mean, means to accept the presence of a person with friendliness. Now, before people think I'm referring to those that travel around with their names at churches to preach and to guest speak, that is not what I'm talking about. They may be a prophet. I don't know. Show me some signs. 
but what I am talking about is the average, what everybody would call average everyday Christian that no one knows anything about. You could be talking to a prophet and not even realize it. You could be talking to a righteous person and not even realize it. So that's why it's so important to be observant with the people you're around. You know, it's like recognizing, hmm, I think that person's a Christian and they have this anointing and I'm going to I'm going to draw on that anointing. I'm going to interact with them based on that anointing. It's so important. Don't just look at people that call themselves this and call themselves that, and they go here and they go there and they got books and they got a website and all that stuff. None of that matters. Okay? So it's really, really important to make sure you're not doing that and to be friendly. It's the idea of how you treat a guest in your home. So if you want to know how, what that looks like, just think Diane. Right. <laughs> like, need a paper plate for your baby? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you need water? Didn't even think about that five hours ago. Here, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> you gotta think in those terms. It's a, it's a hospitality. Uh, the word reward, if you receive one with friendliness and hospitality, is misthos, and it means wages, hire, and reward. So we see in our example that the generosity, the reception with friendliness of this woman, meant she was going to get paid for it. And that payment was a child that she wanted, a deep desire that probably no one knew but her husband. Now, what I find even more interesting is that the other time a pregnancy was decreed in this manner was when the Lord himself in his pre-incarnate form decreed the same thing to Sarah. Okay? So the Lord demonstrated it, the prophet copied it. The prophetic picture of Jesus living as a man in right relationship with God of the power of the Holy Spirit showing us who we are now in Him. God is a show and then tell. So He showed how to do it in Genesis and now the prophet's doing it here in 2 Kings. Isn't that cool? Alright, so things are going good. Well, in your seasons and cycles and it says know the season, know the, you know, the cycles. So I think God works in that. You know, we don't always know what the first day of, when we call the first day of spring, but what? We see the signs, we know it's spring. Let's just put yes. it that way. And there's a cycle there, and so that we can plan accordingly. Oh, do you know that when you're in wisdom, and this is in chapter for Cassie, I'm just going to bring all my Bibles. I'll just load them up in the back of the car and have you guys help me bring them in. Listen to this. So above all, guard the affections of your heart. For they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows a wellspring of life. Now, I know what you're saying, right? But listen to this, because we have like Joseph, you know, store grain. I mean, we, we definitely have that. But, okay, so the word hearts, our thoughts, will discernment and affections. Um, the word wellspring is actually, it can mean you'll have spring forever. Isn't that cool? So if you guard the affections of your heart, your life will be like spring forever, meaning newness every day, right? It's not too hot. It's not too cold. You get to see the butterflies and the birds and all those things. So, you know, I like the seasons. Uh, spring and fall are my favorite. But what's neat is if you guard the affections, and how do you guard them? Wisdom. Mm -hmm. See, I'm coming from it. From like a farmer's standpoint, yes. When you start to see the signs of spring, that you prepare, get you better done. get yourself ready. You mm -hmm. better get the field, mm -hmm. you know, toiled. Yep. Get your seed bought. Yep. You know the whole nine yards because yep. it's coming. Yep. So, 
And I think that is the, to me, the cycles to be aware of the seasons Absolutely. so that you can prepare for what's coming. Yeah. So if you know those things, you can prepare yourself. And it's almost like a testimony where you can stand back on it and say, okay, this is happening, but I know. You know, no matter if we go back down into minus zero, we know that it's not going to stay there. It's yeah. Warm up. <laughs> well, and that applies, you know, again, it's mm -hmm. wisdom because it's like, okay, you know, I'm like just to give a practical practical example, it's like, okay, now it's time to build passive wealth. Uh, I have a couple strategies I could look at. And I'm like, okay, Lord, you know, what does that look like? Um, because like I told Mike, I said, and, and people can mark my words. I mean, it's gonna, I mean, it's already in my mind happened. I will have uh, millions for my children and grandchildren. There's no doubt whatsoever in my mind. So I'm like, okay, now how do I start building that, those millions? Well, you got obviously several, there's numerous ways. I'm looking at the stock market, I'm looking at uh, crypto. What are the profits saying? Don't go to the stock market. Now, I don't mind buying low because it will come back up, but at this moment in time, it is not the time. What are the profits saying? Go to crypto. So I'm studying it. I, I don't go in blindly because, you know, and people think it's like the stock market. No, it's a currency. You don't go in there to invest and then pull out when you make a bunch of money. That's not how it works. So anyway, I'm looking at these and I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit, I don't know what I'm doing. I, you know, I have no idea. So I need your wisdom. Well, all that to say, I'm looking at world events. I'm looking at, they're saying the economy's okay, but gas, did y'all notice is 370 something now? That will trigger, it's already triggered food. It's already triggered, so it, it's a continuous process does it mean I can't live in springtime? No. But what it does mean is I'm going to hear very clearly what wisdom is saying so that I am not caught by surprise. I don't want to be rescued. I want to be protected. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that requires wisdom. Okay. Now, so things are good. Then verse 18. When the child had grown... He went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. <coughs> and she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door behind him, and went out. Now, this story is fascinating. This woman is a very strong woman. Most Christians would have doubted they heard the Lord. They would have blamed him. They would have blamed the prophet. They, I mean, it would have absolutely ended everything they believed, right? She puts him in the room. Now, I think he probably had an aneurysm, is what I'm thinking. She called to her husband. He has no idea their son's dead. Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys. I may quickly go to the man of God and come back. And he said, well, why are you going to go? It's neither new moon or Sabbath. She said, all's well. So she saddled the donkey, said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she uh, set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. I love, love this woman's response uh, to death because I'm not sure I would have even been able to do it either. Um, first of all, it could not have been easy. The only son that was a son of promise that was literally decreed into existence is dead. And instead of doubting God or whether she heard God or blaming God, for killing her son or creating a theology out of her death, his death. She told her husband, it's all right. Everything's good. I just need to go talk to the prophet. 
Then she takes action to get the prophet back to her house and to fix the, you know, the, the problem because he's, he better find a solution. And she put her son in the prophet's chambers. Did you notice that? Because that's the source of her son. That was where the decree came from. So basically, she is a woman on a mission. She's like, you, sir, better come and fix this issue. <laughs> you promised me a son, and I warned you, don't make promises that you can't keep. And now my son has died. So whatever you got to do in this world of yours, do it. <laughs> Just picture her, you know. So I love it. She regarded the monuments of God. In other words, she went back to where the miracle occurred at the decree. So you have to go back to what God said. What did God say? Because the word will be contradicted. So that's what's so important is you have to go back, right? The reason I'm pointing this out is because many of us will doubt God, doubt His word, doubt the prophetic the minute something bad happens or we think maybe we sinned and that's why something bad happened when that's not the case. She had such faith that she kept the fact that her son was dead from her husband. This is important. If her husband did not have the mm -hmm. level of faith that she had, he would have cursed the whole thing out of existence and he would have brought her faith down. I think she was a, a Psalm 31 woman. You think because she honored her husband by saying, let's build this. She probably could have just said, hey, we're building. Yeah. We're building the prophet a place to, to stay. Yeah. But she consulted her husband yep. said first, and then here when, whenever it happened in the field, what did he do? He said, take it to mom, because mm -hmm. she'll know what to do, basically, mm -hmm. is why mm -hmm. I infer from that. Yeah. Because she is the go-to person to, let's take, we'll yep. take the son to her, she'll know what to do. Yep. And then I thought it was very important, when you ask her, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Honey, it's going to be okay. Yep, I got I'm just it. It's going to go out. I think she was a D. You know, but uh, <laughs> and, I, and I'm wondering if she had prophetic gift herself. Maybe. Maybe. She knew that she that building the, the, the room was important. Yep. And she knew enough not to decree his death, not to speak it. Yep. Yep. I think it's fascinating. And I mean, to me, what had already happened was her evidence that she was going to get mm -hmm. her miracle. Like nothing was going to stop her. I would have been scared. I've seen her coming like, uh-oh, what's going on? You know, she's coming. Something must be... Well, I, actually, I think that's what uh, happened. Um, yeah, he said. Yeah, so when the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there's a Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, is, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? She said, all is well. So she's, she's talking to Gehazi. She's like, oh, no, we're not doing this again where I'm talking to Gehazi. Take me to the prophet now. <laughs> and so when she came to the mountain, to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And God, Gehazi came to you know push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, did I, not, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And she said to Gehazi, tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply and lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother's like, uh-uh, nope, that's not what we're doing. As the Lord lives and as you, you yourself live, I ain't leaving you. So you're coming with me, you know. I love it. She's like, uh-uh. So he arose, followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound 
or sign of life. There he, therefore he returned to meet him and told him the child has not awakened. You know what I'm also wondering? I'm also wondering if she had discernment and she was picking yeah. up on Gehazi That's... because Gehazi was a snake. And I'm just wondering. So I love that. I love it. You know, now bitter distress in the Hebrew is idea of being affected by the calamities of life. Okay? She made herself vulnerable to this prophet and got the desire of her heart. When you start tapping into the desires of people's hearts, it can be very, um, what's the word? Overwhelming. Because the, the deepest desires of your heart are very sacred. And so when people start speaking into them or they start making you think that you can actually have what you want, it can be, I mean, just absolutely overwhelming. So the fact that she was like, you know, you're the one that, that started all this. I was fine. You know, I was fine. And then you said, <laughs> what do you want, right? And uh, so she let her guard down. But now she ain't going to leave uh, his side. Okay, so when Elijah came to the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and he shut the door behind two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself upon him, and uh, the flesh of the child became warm. So he got up again, and he walked once back and forth in the house. Then he went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her. When she came, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground, and she picked up her son and went out. Now, this is a totally different story from Elijah. First of all, to touch a dead body is unclean. He laid his entire body on him. Eye to eye, face to face, hands to hands, right? So he's imparting to him the life that he carries. A life that was so strong that when his bones resurrected a man when they threw a dead body into his grave. And uh, so this life was so strong on him, but he didn't stop praying. He was persistent. Did you also notice that he didn't blame God? Elijah blamed, why did you take her son, right? Elijah didn't do that. He just went in laid his uh, entire body on him, and resurrected I, him. I underlined, and he shut the door. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, we talked mm -hmm. about shutting the door yeah. earlier. And then he walked away from the problem. <laughs> I was doing that last mm -hmm. night. I, I couldn't I couldn't get something that I wanted out of my head onto a client's website, so I just I would walk. <laughs> you know, and I'd come back and look at it, then I'd walk again. So that, sometimes you have to do that. I mean, it's so funny. It's like I literally lived this last night, just not the consequences that, you know, we're having with, you know, death. Obviously, it's just a website, but he walked away and he's pacing. So what he's doing, guys, is he's meditating on the Word. He's meditating on the Lord's character. He's, he's, you know, he's seeing this child come to life. That's what he's doing. I can guarantee it because we've all been there when we need that miracle. And you have to, you cannot go full steam ahead with no steam. So you do the first thing and then you regroup. You get your faith level where it needs to be, and then you go back to the problem. That's exactly what he's doing. And it must have been a large house because he was pacing back and forth in the house. Then he goes back and he resurrects the um, the child. Well, and I think it's interesting because we saw in Elijah, uh, he was praying for rain, and it didn't immediately start raining. Mm -hmm. You know, and then he would say, "Go persistent and, prayer." And there's no, no same there's thing no with clouds. healing. 
We've all done that with healing. Mm -hmm. On a scale of one to ten, where are you now? I'm at seven. Okay, let's pray again. Now I'm at nine or ten. I have a thought. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've read this and studied this, but uh, when he did the mouth to mouth, that was it's the first place in all the Bible, except first place in all man's theory. being creation. It started with Adam and God created the birth yep. of life in Adam. Mm -hmm. But this is so neat because now we have, uh, you know, emergency techniques to revive people. Yeah. And this is the first mouth to mouth, blowing mm -hmm. breath into his yep. lungs. Yep. And understanding I think that this is quite incredible. Our breath has the life of God, mm -hmm. even when we talk. You know, yeah. when but, we pray, when we sing. Again, I, I think this. For the medical world, mm -hmm. they don't they don't learn this scripture when they go to medical school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mouth to mouth resuscitation. Yeah, and I also think you know the idea of the breath of God is now so entwined with our breath, which is why speaking negativity and curses is so egregious, right? Mm -hmm. And um, like I said uh, something the other day uh, at work. And I instantly, the Holy Spirit's like, I did not like that. I said, I didn't either. You know, I, I apologize for that. And it was, I did not cuss anybody out or anything. I just had a negative opinion about someone that I didn't need to have it. It was very interesting. Um, and I'm still working on that. You know, don't even get me started on Biden. But I like the fact that Elisha encouraged himself in the Lord. He fervently prayed to increase his you know, prayer. But what this story is showing us is normal Christianity. That's what it's showing us, normal Christianity. The answer is in the house. It's showing how we should respond to crises. It's showing how we should respond to the people of God and operate in honor. And it also is showing what our response should be to the word of God through his prophets. Okay? So let's finish up. And I think it also shows uh, identity here. Because he laid his eyes on his eyes. I'm trying to get that whole picture of how you even do all that. And because when we believe and we are resurrected, our eyes should be his eyes. Yeah. Our breath should be his breath. Yep. Hands, his hands. So basically we should take on that image of Jesus mm -hmm. and by him overlaying this boy, I think it was symbolic of... I you wish know, I would have brought my passion. The hoe. <laughs> okay, so what you're saying, there's another scripture. I think it's a psalm. I'm going to find it. But it talks about David and how the original language is that David's DCA, definite chief aim, was to have the exact heart and exact thoughts of God. That's why he could say he's after my own heart. That was his DCA, to think like God and to have a heart like God. And that's what you're saying. I'm saying, yeah, because you know? he was dead. And then when Elijah, I think, in basically taking the role on of Jesus, let's just Elisha. put that, Elisha, mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. I always get them mixed up. Mm -hmm. But he is, you know, outstretched. Yep. And he is Im imposing that life onto. And I wonder if he dead. was laid out like that. I, get, I do, like I don't know. I get that. You know, mm -hmm. whatever, however it was. Mm -hmm. But the picture uh, of the cross. But the picture of the cross, and I just think, you know, that as Jesus gives life mm -hmm. through, you know, and then we come back, to, we come to to a living, more more alive than we were 
previous. Previous. Mm -hmm. So um, I do. I think that that's symbolic as yeah. well as uh, just physical manifestation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so verse thirty-eight. So Elijah mm -hmm. came again to Gilgal, where there was a famine in the land. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. One of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered, it, uh, from, gathered from it his lap full of wild gourds and came and cut them into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. That's when, what happens sometimes when a man cooks and he doesn't know what he's doing. Just kidding. Okay. That would actually be me. <laughs> and uh, so they poured out some for the men to eat. But while they were eating the stew, they cried out, Oh, man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. He said, Bring flour. And he threw it into the pot. Pour some out for the men. And they ate. And there was no harm. That take faith eating it after that. And a man from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain and sap. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, Give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate, had some left, according to the word of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? See, most of the miracles, etc., that Jesus did have been done, except for the blind. Remember, healing the blind was a purely messianic miracle. But notice this. He's solving problems strategically and supernaturally. He fixed a supply issue in the final verb, uh, final verses. And I find it interesting that instead of these uh, men from Bel Shalisha, uh, <laughs> instead of them taking the first fruits of the new harvest to the apostate priests at Bethel and Dan, instead they brought them to Elisha. So that's where they're recognizing where the power of God lies. So our gifts and callings were never and never will be for our own benefit. They are to serve uh, a very practical purpose that's benefiting those in our care, our cities, the families in those cities, etc. God never meant for prophetic ministry or any ministry to serve only those in the four walls of the church either or to get our name out there for speaking engagements. These men and women influenced and benefited influencers and leaders in their communities. They had the ear of kings. They brought fruitfulness to the barren and children back to their mothers. A reality check for all of us is this. Am I humbly cooperating with Holy Spirit, my gifting, to positively impact and influence those immediately around me and in my community? You know, goosebumps and anointing is not for us to feel good. Whenever the anointing shows up, he wants to do something active uh, wherever you're at. Okay? So it's very important. But this is just one of my favorite. I love this whole story. Naaman's a good one, too. The next one. That stinker. But he had more faith than Gazi. And then it's like, I mean, I don't know what personality style Elisha was. But, you know, like, he gave an order. And Gehazi's like, well, but, you know, how's that going to happen? I can't set this before a hundred men. I would have fired Gehazi right then. You know, first of all, I don't like repeating myself. Second, do you not have faith? I just resurrected a young boy. You know, it's like, do you think I'm playing here? So, I don't know. Like, this Gehazi guy, is, was he inherited? Was he with Elijah? 
Just get rid of them. It doesn't really say how he came into irritated with them. I don't like incompetent people messing up plans, and he's messing up plans. But anyway, so yeah, the Hazi, he's about to show his true colors, and I do. I wonder if that lady kind of picked up on it. So anyway, but any other thoughts? Well, when I've read that Elijah did 16 miracles, Elijah did 32 miracles. Yes, he did. Exactly. And doesn't it seem like he's like repeating the same ones to a degree too, plus doing more? Type and shadows, mm -hmm. literally. Yeah. If you really study both together and write it all down and, and do this and then do this and put them together, and yeah. you know there's 16 and here's 32, you know, formulate your little formula. Well, and he was types and raised by Elijah, so he's going to definitely have some of his father, you know, stuff in his life, but... Yeah, it is. It's like he's repeating some of the miracles, but doing them better, quite frankly. A little differently. And then exactly he has more. Yeah, but, he well, more. in his perspective, a father's, to me, different it than is, Elijah's. But the two comparisons are extremely important to study. They are. Do you have that typed out or written up or anything? No, I just uh, got little notes throughout my Bible stuff, mm -hmm. but I've never... It, it would be a very interesting thing to see. Comparison, yeah. Really yeah. Well, and you wonder, here he was with... Elijah, when he was going through his depths of despair and yeah. different things, if he is discerning person, he sees that and says, you know, okay, he learns this what is not how to I do. Don't get into that situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, and it, it's um, you have to be humble to be able to do that and like look at you know predecessors or look at leaders. And, and appreciate and take all you can from what they're teaching you, blah, blah, while at the same time recognizing, okay, that, that attitude or that perspective is not conducive to my core values or what I feel God is saying. And, and so learning what to do but what not to do is equally, if not more important, actually. Well, and you, you don't know. know. I mean, no. we, we get to see a the highlights of the miracles. Well, we don't see. Well, they're traveling for, you know, because it's all on foot. Basically. Did he have stinky feet? Well, and then, you know, I imagine they had a few conversations of how this goes, and Elijah says, this is what I was going through. Yep. Maybe don't do this. Yep. You know, I mean. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. That's good. All right. Well, Father, we thank you so much for the reality that the supernatural power of God is to bring you into the natural. That there should always be uh, some practical application of the supernatural manifestations that you want to, to do. And, uh, and Father, I thank you for the perspective and the idea that a prophet is not just someone who gives prophecy, it's someone who impacts nations and who gives solutions uh, to cities and to families that brings insight so that people can live a better life. You are kind to those who know you and those who don't. And so, Father, we do not concern ourselves with who you want to minister to. We only concern ourselves with what you are saying and how. And Father, we also ask uh, that you help us be those people, the uh, marketplace apostles, the solutionaries, and the influencers who are able to solve problems in this town and who have the ear of kings that can bring in insight and simple solutions, strategic solutions to problems, to know what to pare down and what to add, to what to take away and what to not take away. All of those things are very important and can elevate so many people 
So I ask that you expand the impact that we carry into our city, into our county, and into our state and nation. And Father, I also once again lift up the Ukrainian people. There is a legitimate ecclesia in that nation. And I know that the warfare in the spirit is just as strong, if not more, as a warfare on the ground. And I speak confusion into the enemy's camp. I speak confusion into Putin's camp. I pray, Father, that there be uh, a disorientation, a disillusionment, and a discouragement that the soldiers recognize this is a hostile invasion that is unrighteous. This is unrighteous. This is a fight against good and evil. This is a fight against the Antichrist uh, spirit, against those that believe in you and Israel. And so, Father, I, there's more going on. There's so much more going on in the spirit. And I ask that, and again, agreement with Kim Clement's word, that not only will the Ukrainians uh, be victorious, but they will take the spoils of the enemy coming into their land unrighteously. And also, Father, once again, I ask that you give uh, President Putin dreams of warning him to stop, to pull back uh, before it's too late. And Father, also, I just want to say good job on creating those Ukrainians. They are beautiful people. I have not seen one yet that's just not absolutely gorgeous. And so, Father, we give you honor and we give you glory for what you're doing over there and finally expose any corruption in the American government working with Russia and China to hand this nation over in Jesus' name. Amen. And please take our money. <laughs> please take our money. <laughs>